eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And welcome in. Lake Kick is live. It is Sunday night, September 25th, the year of our Lord 2022. Brought to you, as always, by Academy Sports and Outdoors. The casuals were sleeping and we were wide awake on what was a very memorable, not that it should come as a surprise, week four. We're jam-packed. We're high atop a blissful downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Full week four reaction. Our Sunday night show is always jam-packed. Tonight's show, no different. We had upsets yesterday. We had, in some cases, implosions because the mere word upset does not do justice to what we saw happen with some of these programs yesterday. We will discuss it all tonight. There will be no punches pulled. Yeah, Brandon Walker says that we don't tell you you suck on this show. There was a lot of sucking that happened yesterday, and we've got to talk about a lot of it, but there's also a lot of credit to give out, too. And it's not the end of the world for pretty much anyone. Aside from Jeff Collins, who just got fired like 30 minutes ago, he's out at Georgia Tech. We won't have a lot of time to break that down tonight, but that is some breaking news. We've got an Every Given Saturday Tour announcement, our Week 5 destination coming up tonight. We have got four early best bets. Because the Ramen Noodle Express, now back on track, a winning day yesterday. I don't know how much plainer I can put this to you. If you watched Friday Night Lines, you had a winning day yesterday. If you didn't watch it, you had a losing day yesterday. It is imperative that you are following on Instagram, at Josh. I'm not broadcasting that on all of our channels, because when we do it, the lines move. Not to sound braggadocious, but we have a pretty big show here. So I don't like doing that, so I like putting it in one area, and if you want it, come get it. Um, I think Selena Gomez was the first to say that. I'm just the second. At Late Kick Josh, make sure you're following on Instagram. They're watching us in Houston, Texas, St. Paul, Minnesota, Cartersville, Georgia, and Tallahassee, Florida. I got nothing else to say. We got to dive in. We have so much to get to. I've got like 15 games that we're going to touch on in some shape, form, or fashion. Make sure that you like the video and subscribe to the channel if you're here. We were in Neyland Stadium yesterday. What an environment that was. Director Colin Into, what an environment they created there. I'm not saying it was the loudest that place has ever been. I'm just saying it was one of the louder environments that we've been a part of. And I'm on the sidelines somewhere every week. And wow, what a game. What an incredible college football game we saw. And also, there's a lot to say about Florida here. You know the rule. 99% of the time, we talk about the winning team first, and I'm going to do that. I'm just saying, if you're a Florida fan... I got a little different perspective on the outcome of this game and Billy Napier and this program's future than what I saw a lot of people have. So stay tuned for that. I think it's best to work backwards on this game. Because when I think back on it, you know, I think about the fact that Thursday and Tuesday, we were kind of talking about what the path would be for a Florida upset. And a lot of it happened. And so that's the first thing that I kind of want to get to in just a second. But 
The post-game scene at Neyland yesterday would only make sense to you if you're a college football fan. If you were a cricket fan or a baseball fan, you don't really watch the college game, but you just happen to be flipping, and there's CBS. Oh, there's one of those big college football games. Let's go see what's happening. And you watch the ending. You say, wow, those people are really worked up. Why are they so worked up? Let me go punch it up. Wow, they were favored by 10 and a half. They didn't even win by 10 and a half. If anything, shouldn't they be upset? Why are these people so excited? Well, if you know the series history here, if you know how big a hurdle this Florida hurdle has been for Tennessee, if you understand how helpless those folks have felt for extended portions of the past couple of decades, really, when it comes to some of these rivalries, you get how big it is to win this stuff. It was so reminiscent to me of being at the Arkansas A&M game last year when Arkansas finally got the win against A&M and folks were crying on the field. There's a massive celebration. That is so similar to what it was like being on the field yesterday. I mean, that was a crowd that was beside themselves, worked up. I don't know how much of it spilled over on the broadcast. I don't even know how much of that postgame scene they showed you on the broadcast, but wow, uh, that, was, that was an extended, really, really incredible, loud setting after the game is over. So that was the postgame. And that was a beautiful scene for Tennessee. But during the game, if you were to go back to Friday, which is kind of the way I like to think about some of this, I think if I were to walk up to Billy Napier as they boarded the plane in Gainesville Friday, and I said, Anthony Richardson, about to have 453 passing and 62 rushing, will you take it? I think he would have said, get this thing in the air now. Let's go. We've got this. We're going to go win this game. Because that's exactly what Anthony Richardson did. And Tennessee found a way to not only win anyway, Tennessee found a way to be up 38-21 in the fourth quarter. Florida was five of six on fourth down. They went for it on fourth down half a dozen times. Now that tells you two things. Number one, they converted at a very high rate. Uh, number two, Billy Napier did not board that plane in Gainesville, bound for Knoxville and say, let's just go try and keep it close. Man, they, they threw everything they had at Tennessee. I thought they brought their fastball. I thought they played a very good game. This is a credit to Tennessee. Tennessee took the best haymaker I think Florida was capable of delivering, and they still found a way not only to win the game, but to be in control of the game without their top wide receiver in the second half. Here's why Tennessee's different this year. If you haven't watched this team closely, you may just think, well, okay, they're good offensively again. Big deal. They were good offensively last year. It wasn't just numbers. You watched Tennessee last year, you remember how many times they started fast and then stalled. Well, yesterday was the antithesis of that. In fact, Florida was up 14 to 10 near the half. Uh, Tennessee scored 38 points in this game. 35 of them came after the first quarter. That's one thing that's different about Tennessee. I don't know how many times I heard people last week say it is imperative for them to have a fast start. If they don't have a fast start, then blah, blah, blah. They didn't have a fast start. They didn't start slow. But, but offensively, they didn't put dents on the scoreboard really until the second half and then really third quarter and fourth quarter. The second thing is when they didn't have the fast start, again, I'm watching on field level. I don't know how it came across on the broadcast, but there was never a moment's hesitation, a moment's flinching because Hendon Hooker knew, even when they went down and they turned the ball over one time, he knew and they knew collectively they were getting what they wanted offensively. And it would eventually, after body blow, body blow, body blow, it would eventually break Florida. That's what they thought, and that's how it ended up happening. But I, I look at the game in totality, and I see them win the game, and I see the celebration around me. So I think, man, the Tennessee fans, they're going to be really, really worked up in a good way. And most of them were. 
But the nature of a close game is sometimes you have a pessimist, pessimistic crowd out there and the pessimists in the room and the agnostics who, who don't root for either team, they just want to pick everyone apart. They look at Tennessee and they say, well, you can't beat so-and-so with that secondary. Because Tennessee's secondary got carved yesterday and physically embarrassed in some cases. I was standing right in front of Zipperer when he ran through about 27 guys en route to the end zone. No, that wasn't the best of looks for Tennessee. Uh, Florida played tough, man. You got to give a lot of credit there. Like Zipperer, I don't know if you've ever stood next to him. I have. He's not the easiest guy to bring down. So I saw and heard a lot of people after this game saying, you can't beat Bama, you can't beat Georgia with that secondary. College football teams are not kitchen appliances. These are not units where if one little thing's wrong, none of the machine can function. It's not a toaster. It's not a microwave, okay? College football teams have strengths, they have weaknesses, and the million-dollar question every year is how much can your strengths make up for or mask some of your weaknesses? Now, you can't have terminal flaws, but some teams like Tennessee know they could show up and score 40 any given Saturday. And so there is the opportunity for your secondary to struggle like they did yesterday, and you still win a football game against a team that's playing at a high level like Florida. And if you lack in one area and you can make up for it in another, yeah, you can beat whoever you put in that blank. I look at Bama coming in there in a few weeks. They still got to play LSU. They, they've got a lot of football left, but I, I know that they've got to play Bama. Man, if they throw the ball like they're capable of, they can hang with Alabama, especially on the road. What's Bama been on the road the last couple of years, by the way? And we'll find that out again this Saturday. Secondly, I, I don't know that we've even seen anyone capable of throwing the ball on Georgia. Uh, week one is probably the result that you would point to, but man, uh, Oregon was a no-show there, uh, due in large part because of Georgia. My point is, these games happen in the future. You got weaknesses, yeah. You got strengths, too. So use your strengths to mask your weaknesses. I do want to say something here because there's going to be a whole lot of talk about Tennessee. We're going to have them very highly rated in JP poll tomorrow or Tuesday, and that's all deserved. And I can't speak highly enough of our experience this weekend in Knoxville. The reason it sounds like I'm kind of skipping ahead to Florida is because I know we got a lot to talk about with Tennessee. I don't think we've gone to Knoxville for the last time this year. I don't think we've seen Tennessee in person for the last time this year. This is a team that can do some things. And I know that, like I said, you can look at the secondary, mm, but, but, there's no but. There's, there's, there's losable games, there's winnable games. That's how the sport happens. There are no machines. So there's a lot in the future to play for for Tennessee. There's a lot that we're going to talk about with them. I thought with Florida, and I'm serious about this, I thought for Florida this was an excellent result that was masked by a poor outcome. They lost the game. Wins and losses at the end of the day are what matter. I get it. I listened to Napier postgame. He said the exact same thing. I liked a lot of what we did, but there are no moral victories. Okay. Florida has looked bad the past couple of weeks. And it stood to reason if they brought the same kind of performance into Neyland Stadium they had against Kentucky or they had against USF, they were going to get drummed. You know, there was a very real worst case scenario where this game was 38 to 13 in the fourth quarter instead of 38-33. And I think everyone was aware of that. I think Billy Napier was aware of that. And I did something I rarely do yesterday. About 95% of the time I go to the winning team's postgame press conference. I went to Napier's press conference yesterday. So I wanted to hear what his take was on that. I wanted to hear him talk about his personal foul too. And so he, he addressed both of those things. But he, you could tell if you read through the lines, he knew they came up there 
and he got a lot of what he needed. What he needed to see was them fight on the road. What he needed to see was them compete. Because even though you always say those things about your team, you got to see it in action to really find out what they're made of. And there was a lot of validating, I thought, that happened yesterday for Florida's program. In a loss, that's why I'm saying program, not team. This team lost a game yesterday. This program saw a lot of what Billy Napier and his staff hoped was there, and they hoped that they can start to foster. I mean, Ventrell Miller played, all things considered, one of the best games in the country yesterday. Why? Because people didn't even think he was going to play up until a few days before kickoff. Anthony Richardson didn't know where the ball was going two weeks ago when it left his hand. The guy played out of his mind yesterday. The entire team competed. They were very physical. They're a flawed team. There is a very, very obvious ceiling on this particular group of guys because of that. But that is what it is. It's year one. It's not year five. It's not even your guys. Having said all that, man, I thought, I thought there was a lot that you saw from that team that they should be proud of. Now, I also want you to keep this in mind. A lot of people take for granted the things I just said. Well, sure, they competed. What else are they going to do? Quit? That's what else you could do. Uh, because it happened last year with that team. Florida fans know that. I wouldn't be so quick to forget that. Because that stuff is hard to change. That kind of stuff, if it's happened, and you're talking about overturning a culture and all that good stuff, those aren't just media days talking points. That stuff's not easy to do. And so the reason why Napier sounded beaten but encouraged in the postgame is because I think he saw the same thing I saw in his team. There's a lot still to play for with that squad. They got two losses right now. I think they're going to improve throughout the year. They are vulnerable to injury because they have depth issues. But if they can stay somewhat reasonably healthy, I still think they got a lot to play for. So, I mean, I left yesterday thinking there were plenty of good things to be said about both teams. Uh, but it was an incredible game to witness. Very, very high level of play there. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm excited for our friends coast to coast because you always have access to Academy. Because even if you don't have one in your backyard, you got the internet. You can go to Academy.com. But every so often, paper pop. Every so often, that's how you know it's serious, we've got a special announcement to make. And here is said special announcement. This week, in fact, this weekend, there is a new academy opening in Lexington, Kentucky. And those of you who have been in or around Panama City or Norfolk, you know what that means. It means if you can get to that place. I don't care if you drive there from Springfield, Illinois. If you get there and you can prove to me that you were in that store and you bought something and you participated in the grand opening and made it a successful event... I would venture to guess about 10 of you are going to be selected to win a Chalice of Supremacy. 
which is that little glass figurine there on our desk. And it has the Pate State emblem engraved in it. You cannot buy those. We don't sell them. They're not in the Pate State store. They are nowhere other than in boxes in our office waiting to be handed out at my sole discretion. And if you patronize our presenting sponsor, Academy Sports and Outdoors, and you get selected, you're getting one of them. We just shipped out a bunch of them last week, so we'll be shipping more out. Lexington, Kentucky. All of you ask, when are we getting an Academy? You got yours coming. They are our exclusive partner. I cannot even begin to express how many things we get to do here because of them. And like I've always said, it's also a double bonus for you. You get the show for free because of them, and you get a bunch of great stuff in your life because of them, because they actually sell stuff you need. If you can't get there in person, academy.com for all of your outdoor sporting goods and fill-in-the-blank necessities, Academy Sports and Outdoors. What are you doing, Miami? What happened yesterday? I was at the Tennessee game, not the middle Tennessee game, although there was one of those, as it turns out. I'm at the Tennessee game, and as you do during commercial breaks, I'm scrolling through the eye, Josh, and I see the score of the middle Tennessee-Miami game. And I just, I write it off as an error. Those things happen sometimes. It is only 2022 after all. And then I see on the ribbon board in Neyland Stadium, it says the same score. At that point, I knew something horrible had happened, but I heard some other people saying, look at that score, it's an error. Look at it, it's messed up. That was the consensus in Neyland Stadium. That that can't be real. That's it. Middle Tennessee State's not body bagging Miami like that. There's no way. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they kind of did. That's the bad news. The worst news is the box score fully checks out. There was nothing freakish about this. As Mario Cristobal said afterwards, we got out coached, we got out physical, we got out played by whomst? Middle Tennessee State. I think they're like a six point dog at home this week. So, yeah, we have, as you would suspect, some things to say about this. They faced man coverage all day against Miami. Miami, understandably, thought. We have athletes in our secondary that are good enough to be on scholarship at Miami. They are Middle Tennessee State. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to man up on them all afternoon. Which, on the surface, given the tradition-rich history of the Miami program, probably makes sense to you. Until the game started, and then you realized, oh boy. And we're watching B-roll from the game yesterday, but Colin probably has about combined three minutes of that he can play. Because it was just toast job after toast job, man coverage, check the film, there's no sugarcoating it. Those were the words of Mario Cristobal as to why his secondary was basically running second place in a track meet all afternoon. It was abhorrent. It was terrible. It was beyond worst case scenario. Middle Tennessee had 16.3 yards per pass yesterday. If you split that in half, it would figure to be a good day in the passing game for them. Miami was favored by over three touchdowns, which explains why everyone thought this score may be a typo. And they just got handled all day. Middle Tennessee never trailed. They forced turnovers on Miami's first three possessions. They stopped Miami on downs three more possessions. And as for that man coverage that Miami employed, Middle Tennessee had pass completions of 69 yards, 71 yards, 89 yards, and 98 yards. There are a lot of teams out there this year that are going to be really good that will not have pass completions of 89 or more yards all season. And Middle Tennessee had two of them yesterday and another one for 69 and another one for 71. How does it go this poorly? 
You can talk about injury, you would be right. You would talk about some depth concerns, you would be right. This is totally like beyond the scope, beyond the pale. I, I have friends who cover Miami who were at a combined loss for words yesterday. We have obviously a huge contingent of Miami fans who watch the show. And I expected outrage in the inbox and disgust in the inbox. It, it wasn't that. It was almost as if a bomb went off and you weren't close enough to it to be wiped out, but you were plenty close enough to have the shell shock and everyone was just kind of, I don't know what to say. What do we do? Where are we at? What is this? That was sort of the aftermath, if you want to call it that, of this football game. So once Miami fans finally did regain their senses a little bit, they talked about Tyler Van Dyke, who was benched yesterday in favor of Jake Garcia, and that's its own little subplot, the quarterback situation at Miami. But also, um, we have to talk a little bit about the offense down there. There was a big move in the headlines made by Mario Cristobal when he brought Josh Gaddis in. And I think nationally, because you don't watch down to down, everyone probably still thinks that was a big hire. Miami fans know this offense is terrible. And I will second that. The offense sucks. I'm not saying Gaddis does, because that's not the way I look at coaches. But what they're doing offensively, it certainly isn't conducive to uh, putting Tyler Van Dyke in the best position to succeed. Now, some of it's on him. I'm not saying it's not. But, man... It's not like we don't know what the guy's capable of because we saw it last year. So he's capable of a lot more. What kind of position are you putting him in? And if this just isn't an offense conducive to his skill set, do you tell him to hit the transfer portal? Obviously, you're not going to do that. I'm speaking rhetorically. But this offense is bad. And what I won't do, I can shed a little light on this now. What I won't do is sit here and have Colin and Jesse dim the lights and go over here and pull out a grease board and, and start diagramming what the problems are. It's not that kind of show. I'm not equipped nor qualified to do that anyway, and I don't pretend otherwise. But here's what I can do. I can tell you a couple of things that I have not shared before. The first thing is, when Mario hired Josh Gaddis, I had some people hit me up in the coaching community and tell me that move's not going to work out like people think it is. Because they saw the headlines, and they saw that Miami was being praised for poaching Josh Gaddis, Broyles Award winner, Josh Gaddis away from Michigan. Another coach said, Michigan will not be hurt at all by this. And if you're looking at Michigan now, have you watched them all year and thought to yourself, boy, man, they are missing Josh Gaddis? No. So a lot of what I had told to me has been validated. Again, that's not me watching. That's not me ascribing my opinion on it. I am regurgitating what coaches said to me. And then the second thing I want to tell you is once we got into the season a little bit, there has not been, forget a week, there has not been a series for Miami hardly that's gone by when they're playing where I haven't had coaches texting me saying, see what I mean? See that? You watching this? You seeing what's not happening with Miami? So I know a lot of Miami fans are very upset with the production or lack thereof from the offense so far. I can tell you that your feelings have been echoed by a lot of people with no skin in the game down there, but are in the game as coaches. So either Josh Gaddis is for some reason one of the most hated dudes in all of coaching, or they're just calling it like they see it. And judging by the folks I talk to, because I know who these folks are, I don't think it's the former. I think it's the latter. I just don't think they're very impressed with Josh Gaddis, and certainly you're not impressed with what he's done so far in Miami. 
I don't know where they're going to go from there. That's, that's bad. It has the chance to snowball. Uh, that's the challenge now. Do you isolate that just to being a terrible loss, or does it snowball on you and end up taking your whole season off the cliff? Remains to be seen. They're watching us in Lubbock, Texas. And boy, are we going to talk about the fine folks in Lubbock in a little while. They're watching us in Miami, Florida. Or maybe they're not after that. They're watching us in Savannah, Georgia. We appreciate you guys wherever you're tuned in. Remember, uh, we're already almost at 1,000. But there are over 4,200 of you watching live. So click that thumbs up button for me right quick. I'll give you three seconds. Two, one. Thank you. And while you're at it, subscribe. Because like 58% of our audience that watches the show still is not subscribed. All right, that's it. Ohio State did some terrible, horrible things to Wisconsin yesterday, 52 to 21. You know, let me crack my knuckles. One, as usual. I'm old enough to remember when this offense was a problem for Ohio State. Remember that? It's been about three weeks now. Remember 10 to 7 trailing Notre Dame in the second half of the opening game? Eventually, they string together enough positive plays to win 21 to 10. Remember, though? Remember when Jim Knowles' defense was welcome to the party, but now all of a sudden this offense is sputtering? I do. I do. Because we came on the show and I told you, I am totally comfortable with this offense struggling in week one, especially if this defense is here to stay. Why? Because anyone, and I mean anyone with any sense about themselves, knew this offense isn't going to struggle for long. Are you crazy? Do you know who you have at quarterback? Do you know how many weapons you have? A bunch of them were new. And some of them had been injured. You know who you have in the backfield? You know what the potential of this offensive line is? You didn't know it, but you got a big weapon at tight end, too. That stuff was eventually going to gel. And it has. And now, guess what? Breaking news from yesterday. The offense is here, too. 52-21. to 21. Total abuse. They could have done whatever they wanted in this game to Wisconsin. Cade Stover. It, he's the tight end there. It almost seemed as if... About midway through the first quarter, Ryan Day just started going up in the stands. And he said, dare me to do something. And someone said, I know you got Fleming out there doing his thing in Ibuka, and you got all these weapons in the backfield. I dare you to just start throwing the ball to Stover. And Ryan Day said, Stover? Okay. And he walked back down the sideline and just started dialing up passes to Stover. Because he started to even take over the game. I think he was tied for second in receptions on the team last night. Point is, they got a lot of weapons. And a lot of them have gotten healthy now. Uh, they are a force to be reckoned with in the Big Ten and nationally. They were green in the secondary, though, yesterday. I don't think this, this game got a lot of play nationally. And we didn't even do an individual game breakdown on it yet on last week's shows. But what I would have said is Wisconsin, if they've got an outside shot in this game, it's because even though the passing game's nothing to write home about with Wisconsin, and boy, it was not, maybe they find some yardage that you don't expect because there's a lot of newness and inexperience in the Ohio State secondary because they've been banged up back there. And yet they were still held to 104 yards total passing. Tanner McAllister is a guy who is not on any preseason watch list but played safety yesterday. And he picked the ball off early. And you watch him in the post-pick return portion of the play. And he looks like a veteran. Not only did he immediately take a time to secure the ball, but he, he, he got a pass breakup later in the game. He just looked like he'd been starting for like four or five years. And he's a guy who's been put on the field because there are some other guys who haven't been on the field or are not on the field. It just it, They feel like a team possessed. That's how they played yesterday. 
They played like a team possessed. It was the Big Ten opener. It was a night game. It was prime time. It was the ABC game of the week. They, they said a lot of stuff in the spring and summer that on the surface doesn't mean anything until you back it up. But they're backing it up now. Now, it's going to be very popular to pick them apart, and they won't always look this dominant this year, at least I don't think. But this team has an opportunity to win a national championship because this team has all the ingredients. And there's another thing that I think this team has, but ultimately we'll have to wait for them to prove it. What cost them last year was there were some times, it really won in particular, the Michigan game, that's what we're talking about, where they were the second most physical team on the field. And it showed. And that was the big challenge. That was the challenge from Ryan Day to his staff. That was a challenge from Ryan Day to his team. We can't have that. There's no excuse. We get our pick, virtually, of the best athletes in the country. And it's up to us to turn them into the most physical team in the Big Ten. There's no way we should ever take a backseat in that department. It's early, but so far, they look like they've answered that bell. And I'll tell you a microcosm of that. If you'll watch Heartline's wide receiver room, you know about the speed and you know about the skill and athleticism and they've got all that. They're also really physical. Really physical blocking. They're really physical after the catch. Go watch Julian Fleming. These guys are not the 5'10", 165-pound types. You can win games with those types. I'm just saying there's a little different caliber athlete in the Ohio State wide receiver room. And they have all the other stuff you want an elite receiver to have, but they're physical too. And that is kind of a microcosm. That receiver room is exhibiting the characteristics that really the whole team has been challenged to exhibit. And my common sense is indicating to me that, boy, if you're getting that from the receiver room, which is usually the last room to jump on board, I feel good that it's going to be exhibited by the rest of the team in time. I had someone text me before I got to watch this game. He said, yeah, everyone's going to praise Ohio State, but keep in mind, Wisconsin scored 21 points. Dude, it was 45-7 to in the fourth quarter. I don't care. I, they could, Ohio State could have named the score here. And really, if Jim Knowles wanted to clamp down, I don't think Wisconsin is breaking double digits on the scoreboard. 539-296 to was the yardage edge. 28-11 to was the first down edge. 16.5 yards per completion for C.J. Stroud. Six yards per carry, just for good measure. This, this, this was a splattering. This was a classic Saturday night splattering. An SNS, as we like to say around here, because we have an acronym for everything. Congratulations to Ohio State. What do they have this week? Rutgers on deck. Or as you might call it, a continuation of Big Ten Conference play. We move on. This one hurt. This one hurt me. Uh, let me take a little sip of caffeine here. I don't have rooting interests unless I pick a team or we bet on a team. Then I want those teams to win. Those are week-by-week -week propositions. Colin, I don't want you to put any of that in the individual video. I just want it to be said so that when we get into this part, it's been explained. Texas A&M beat Arkansas yesterday, 23-21. We picked Arkansas on the show last week. We thought the wrong team was favored. What matters in this game? Let's answer this together. What matters at the end of the game, when you look at the scoreboard, what do we keep in score for? It matters who won. That's what matters. Doesn't matter what a box score says. That's all just minutia that you can throw in the blender of conversation after the game. And believe me, I'm about to. That's why I am caveating everything with Texas A&M won this game. That's all that matters. And that is what people will remember six months from now, six years from now. Having said that, 
I, I don't have a different opinion on either one of the teams after the game. So I, I, have, an, I have this big A&M group text that I'm a part of. And a lot of them always try and guess what I'm going to say about the Aggies after a game. Now, they haven't had too difficult a time guessing what I'm about to say the last couple of weeks. But uh, there was a mixed reaction in the group text yesterday. One of them said, you got to apologize to us. Then another one jumped on that one before I could and said, bro, he's not going to apologize. We kind of secretly got outplayed. Then that person responded and said, who cares? We won the game. I just sent an emoji. I'm not going to tell you which one. But this was a Bob special. This was a bounce of ball special. That's kind of one of our little internal stats we keep to explain what they in uh, College Station are calling the oink-doink, which is rude, but I think very apropos. That's how the game ended. Missed field goal off the top of the upright, no less. Watch this foolishness if you're watching on YouTube. I, yeah, yeah, how does it happen? I don't know. That every given Saturday, man, every given Saturday. There were, there were some things that went down here for Arkansas yesterday. You had the, the game and the play of the game. I'm about to talk about it in a second. But you had a bad snap late that is part of football. You had the oink-doink that's part of football. You had this play near halftime. And, and I've, I've seen some, some math done on this sort of thing. You think a turnover that leads to an immediate score in the red zone is a big deal. But I don't care how big you think it is. The numbers say it's way bigger in terms of impact on a football game. If you throw like a pick six in the end zone or you got a fumble scoop and score when you're in the red zone, that stuff, it, it, it's worth like 100 points, it seems. It is so big. It's so hard to overcome. And that happened yesterday. It all happened in this game with Arkansas and A&M. But I got I to gotta tell you, when I looked at my phone and I saw Arkansas had grabbed a 14-0 lead, I thought the game was over. And I don't know if anyone else thought that in this game or, or outside in the stands or whatever. I thought the game was over. For them to finish with 21 stuns me. And that's a huge credit to Texas A&M. I'm just saying, as a general statement, it stuns me that they started out the way they did and they only put seven more on the board the rest of the afternoon. But then when you break it down and you see how it happened, it makes a little more sense. K.J. Jefferson is, is an excellent player. Uh, I, you know my affinity for him. But as we got towards the half of this game, clearly the turning point in this game, not a third down play or a fourth down play, a first down play. He extends the ball near the goal line. It gets stripped, credit A&M. It gets returned, credit A&M. But that's not just the play of the game. The play of the game happened during that play because Tyreek Chappelle is returning the ball. And he's bottled up. You know, he, he's about to be tackled. And he hands that thing off backwards to Damani Jackson. I think it was Damani Jackson. And they end up taking it to the house for a touchdown. I don't think people fully realize, because it's just a crazy, wacky play, and you just look at that as part of the play. That changed this game. His wherewithal to know I'm bottled up, it's, it's a low risk or no risk to just hand this thing backwards, and Jackson takes it to the house. Dude, if they don't score there, they were being shut out at this point. If they don't get points there, they very well may have lost this game. That is a heady play. Very heady. You don't practice that. You practice pretty much everything. They didn't practice that. I can guarantee you he's never done that repetition in practice. That is knowing football. As that's situational awareness. That is a huge turning point in a game. It's a huge turning point in a season because we only play 12 of these things. It's a huge turning point in a rivalry game that thankfully will not be played neutral site in the foreseeable future. But you see why so much confidence 
over the spring and summer was placed on the shoulders of Devon A-Chain. That's that name, that's the first name out of Jimbo Fisher's mouth so often at media days and, and preseason during camp. It's because he's a player. And this was going to be the year where he finally got full workloads. Well, he got one yesterday. He carried the ball 19 times, 159 yards. That's about 8.4 per clip. He was, to me, the best player on the field yesterday. He was the biggest difference maker on the field yesterday. And ripping off big runs when they needed them because this is not a Texas A&M offense that's ever going to be consistent. That's how they got to do it. They got to have defensive and special team scores, and then they've got to hit some big explosive plays, and they got to have some luck. And they had all those things this week. They had most of those things last week. I'm very interested to see where they go. Because, you know, the way I've watched AM when they beat Miami, they didn't light the world on fire, but they beat them. They beat Arkansas yesterday. They didn't light the world on fire, but they beat them. Every week you do that, you're buying yourself more time. They've got all their goals still in front of them, do the Aggies. They got everything they want to play for. Their loss is to App State. They don't have a conference loss. They can do everything they want to, and they've got it all on the table, so they control it. My point is, when you buy yourself time, you're hopefully saying you're buying yourself time to improve in certain areas. You're hoping to get a little bit more offensive consistency. Evan Stewart flashed yesterday, a wide receiver. You hope that you start building rapport. Anaya Smith looks like he's done for the year. So they have to find guys. They have to be able to manufacture enough offense. They play Mississippi State this week. And I think some of you may be surprised by what this line opened at. We're not. Uh, Mississippi State's favored against them by two and a half. That's in Starkville. That's the week before A&M plays Alabama, mind you. So keep that on your radar. With Arkansas, I just, I don't, I don't know. Maybe some people drastically have their minds changed based on these outcomes. I think you know I look at the sport a little bit different, more of a power rating stance than a ranking stance. I heard Arkansas drop 10 spots in the AP. I don't even think it will change their power rating, or it'll change minimally. A&M's power rating will change minimally. I highly suspect we'll have Arkansas ahead of A&M Tuesday night. I haven't run the numbers yet. I just I, I get the feel that's where it's going to be. But the reason why I prefaced all that with what I did at the beginning is because it doesn't matter because A&M won the game. So you can do the predictive stuff all you want to. You can do the forward-thinking modeling all you want to. They play the games eventually. And if you win it, it doesn't matter what the spread was. It doesn't matter what anyone says it would be, who would be favored tomorrow. They're not going to play it again. These aren't series. It's not the NLCS. They play it one time. They played it. A&M won. Congratulations to them. Arkansas now, wounded animal mode. Who do they play? Bama this weekend. Does, you, know, you know what it reeks of to me? It's like a reverse Kansas State Tulane thing. I think, if, I think if we look towards next week's game, in isolation, the best shot that Arkansas probably had against Bama was losing yesterday. Because you know what it does to a locker room. So you don't want to lose, but I'm just saying, if you look at a one-game season coming up, Bama's favored by 15 and a half, which is about five points short of what they were favored by at Texas a couple of weeks ago. You remember how that one went. Uh, there's going to be a war in Fayetteville Saturday. Will we be there? Every given Saturday tour announcement coming up in a few minutes. How, you know, I'm looking at the score that I'm about to talk about in front of me, and it just fascinates me. Clemson went to overtime with Wake yesterday and won 51-45, to and a very strange thing happens to me every Saturday night. It doesn't matter, because we play so many games on Saturdays that inevitably something's going to happen 
that flies in the face of conventional wisdom and that flies in the face maybe of some prediction I've made or something I've said. So it kind of sort of happened in this game. Our prediction was Clemson by eight. So, you know, it was, it was Wake's game most of the second half until it wasn't. Forget about that, though. I had one of you, I guess one of you, come at me last night, and here's what was said. Awfully quiet about DJ's performance today. Not one mention about his performance, huh? Interesting. And my reply, as it always is, was, do you want me to discuss it on the Saturday night show I don't have? This Sunday night show is the first time I speak about 99% of this stuff. So with that in mind, sir, who is it? G. Jenkins? Let's talk about DJ, shall we? What a game from him yesterday. A career game. Put it right up there with that game he played against Notre Dame a couple of years ago. And it was really badly needed, as it turns out. He was 26 of 41, 371. He accounted for five total touchdowns because he ran it for 52 yards as well. And the reason they needed it, as you saw if you watched this game, is they didn't run the ball as well as I thought they were going to. They ran it 4.1 yards per carry, and that's with Shipley ripping off a 53-yard run early. So you don't, I don't do the whole, if you take that big play away, but... They had one chunk run, and the rest of the day, they did not have a ton of success running the ball nearly to the degree they did last year, which meant DJ had to win the game. And guess what happened? DJ Uyangalale stepped up and won a game, which was the big question floating around him. I asked it. I don't think it was dumb to ask at all because he's looked very average, and he's a great kid. So a lot of people kind of think you're attacking his character if you criticize his play, that's not what's happening here. We, we could have a poster of him hanging on our wall for all I care. He's an improved quarterback, and it should be acknowledged, and I congratulate Clemson on the win. The question was if this time ever arrived, would he be able to? If they couldn't run the ball, if their defense was leaky like it was yesterday, could he be counted on to win a game? Well, you know what? It's happened now, and he did win one yesterday. Their pass rush, Clemson's pass rush, not overly effective. They had a ton of inexperience in their secondary, and it got exposed yesterday. But he did it, and he did it without turning the ball over. Because the other question that I had, at least, was if they get in that spot, and he has to throw the ball 41 times like he did yesterday, is he making those throws, which are higher-risk throws, is he doing that and not creating mistakes as well? Because it, it doesn't matter if you throw for 400 if you turn the ball over three times. Well, he threw for 371 yesterday, and there were no turnovers. So it was a really big deal for DJ Uyangalale. Now, here's what's up next for them. Clemson has no time to lick their wounds. They have no time to celebrate because they got NC State in what is probably their game of the year this Saturday night, 7.30 Eastern time. I think it's the ABC game of the week. What would you guess that line opened at? NC State at Clemson. So factor in home field for Clemson. Six and a half or seven is what's on the board right now. And that's with home field. So oddsmakers are telling you neutral, three, four point difference between these teams should be a good one. Wake Forest is at Florida State. And you got to wonder, because this division seems to be wide open. Clemson admittedly has a leg up now on Wake because of the head to head. But Wake is at FSU. That's probably one of my least desired teams to be drawing the week after I play Clemson, as it turns out. FSU favored by five. Going to have a little bit more to say about that game later on, but congratulations. Yes, yes, people. Congratulations to DJ. Congratulations to uh, Clemson. All right, let me take one more sip here because we have a major announcement.
as we tend to a lot around this time of year. We've got a major announcement coming up. Oh, man, long pause there. Very unprofessional. We have been to Fayetteville. We've been to Austin. We've been to Auburn. We've been to Knoxville. We have had a phenomenal time so far this year on the Every Given Saturday tour. We have not had a sleepless night in trying to decide where we're going to go yet like we have over the past 24 hours. I am so conflicted, and it's going to last. I warned you last week. We got several weeks coming up where there are so many attractive choices it's impossible to please everyone. I know exactly what Jim Croce was singing about now. And I don't even know if we're going to please ourselves, immunity, but we're going to try to. So what do we have on the radar this week? We got uh, Kentucky Ole Miss. We got uh, Baylor welcoming Oklahoma State. We've got NC State at Clemson. I mean, I thought for all the world a few weeks ago it would be a lock that we were going to be at Michigan, Iowa. And then Iowa fell to Iowa State, and it kind of changed things a little bit. <sighs> It's time. Colin, isn't it time? Yeah, it's time. The Every Given Saturday Tour, week five. We are going to a place I've never been before, and that is Oxford, Mississippi, for Kentucky, undefeated Kentucky, versus Ole Miss. Undefeated Ole Miss. Even the AP says it's a top 20 matchup, as does the JP poll. 11 a.m. kickoff. You know I love that. What went into this decision? Well, familiarity. We've never been there before. I don't know if we'll be able to see either of these teams again this year. We haven't seen either one of them. There's always a shot down the road to see Clemson. And I, look, I don't know what the Big 12 is going to hold the rest of the year, but I think we're going to be able to get out there. Michigan, we got several shots to see them down the road this year. I didn't, I didn't know. When I looked at this matchup, I didn't know if we were going to have shots to see Kentucky or Ole Miss. And keep in mind, it was very hard to paint this as a slam dunk undefeated versus undefeated in the preseason. I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. I told you, if that ends up being undefeated versus undefeated, it's going to be hard to keep us away from there. However, Ian also matters here. Who is that? What team does he play for? The Gulf of Mexico, because that's where he resides right now. And yes, forecast modeling was also taken into account here. The remnants of Hurricane Ian Expected to be a major hurricane, not a landfalling major hurricane. I think it'll back off to Cat 2 status before it strikes somewhere along the Gulf Coast. I think it'll still be floating around in Clemson. And so, with all those things in mind, I think Oxford's going to be spared. We are going to Kentucky versus Ole Miss. Now, I cannot wait to get off air and be told how this is the biggest mistake of my life. But we've seen great games every week so far this year, and I think we're going to see one again. I am beyond fired up to be able to go to our first ever game at Ole Miss. I don't know how I grew up in the South and I've never been there for a game, but we will end that drought in six days. So I don't want to use that we're coming to your city tagline. I'm, I'm told another pregame show uses that, but we will be in Oxford, Mississippi this Saturday. Can't wait. Someone tell Lane Kiffin we're coming. Someone tell him we're coming. Because to be honest, there's a shortage of hotels in and around the area, and I know good and well he has a block somewhere. So let him know. Thank you. Texas Tech upset Texas yesterday. We threw them on the Ramen Noodle Express Friday night, and they came through Moneyline special, actually, 37 to 34. I thought there was roughly a 99% chance of very high fourth quarter drama in this game. It had all the makings. I could not see a blowout either way here. And sure enough, we got it. One of the most fun and unique cultures in college football is Lubbock, Texas. It's Texas Tech. And I know most of you have never been out there. Most of you don't watch their games regularly. This is a people 
that pride themselves in things like throwing tortillas on the field at the opening kickoff. Why? It's not important why. You just need to understand that in the Saturday game, unlike your sanitized Sunday product, we throw tortillas on the field. I think that's a beautiful thing. Why don't we throw more tortillas in sports, period? Texas Tech, they answer that question for me. They say, we do. So Texas goes in there and they lose to Joey McGuire and company. They're just now getting that program up off the ground. They're just now creating the culture and congratulations to them. Because this was not a game that played out the way you probably thought it would. If I told you they were going to pull the upset, you probably thought they must have gotten out to this big early lead and Texas could never come back. Is that how it happened? That's not how it happened. Texas had the lead here. They led 24 to 14 at the half, did the Texas Longhorns. But Texas Tech, they turned it over on downs, plus territory actually. So that, that moment is the one I circled. When I went back and watched this game, think about this. Now it's the third quarter. Texas is up 10. Texas Tech turns it over on downs. So Texas has got the ball in plus territory up 10. I would have felt really good at that point. Not if I was Sark, because he's in the game. But if I'm watching the game, I mean, if I were Trey Scott, known on the streets of Stanley, I would feel very good at that point. And then it all went sideways. Because I'll tell you what Texas Tech did. They just hung around. They matched points. They hung around. There is a skill to just hanging around. Because if you hang around long enough, someone may slip up. And there may be a crack, and you may be able to slip right through it and win a game, and they did. Defense couldn't be leaned on for Texas, and that's unfortunate because that defense is what really gave them a shot against Alabama. It, it, as it turns out, it did not give them a shot against Texas Tech. How did it happen? If you didn't get to watch the game, how did it happen? And, and is the way that this played out the way you would have expected to? My answer is not quite. Look at, oh, the field storming. There are different folks in the best of ways in Lubbock. Texas Tech hung around, as I said. They ended up plus two in the turnover battle. That part you would expect, but they went six for eight on fourth downs. I had a little debate back and forth with producer Jesse in the pre-show. Was that a padlock stat? I think it was the most important stat in the game, but that's not always the padlock stat. So in honor of producer Jesse, I'm going to make it a padlock stat. There you go. Padlock stat from the game, Joey McGuire and his team, six for eight on fourth down. But I look at Donovan Smith's stat line. That's the quarterback for the Red Raiders. He went 38 of 56, 331, two touchdowns, no picks. If you've watched them at all this year, you know they beat Houston in overtime a few weeks ago. And that is strikingly similar to his stat line in that game. The final scores look the same. They were both overtime games. Donovan Smith played basically the mirror image of that game, and it got him pretty much the same result here. Really bad loss for Texas. It's the second loss of the year. You could very well make the argument, Quinn Ewers is about to come back and that'll reignite their season. And I hope you're right. I think he very well may. And if he played yesterday, I think Texas would win, but he didn't. And they didn't is the point there. Uh, here's the hidden bad news and why if you're not careful, this game could linger. Texas's defense was on the field for 100 plays yesterday. They don't have a bye this week, guys. They have West Virginia coming in. Guess what West Virginia just did? They beat Virginia Tech convincingly on Thursday, which means they've got a rested West Virginia coming in, starting to feel themselves a little bit. Your defense was just on the field 100 plays. We think Quinn Ewers is back this week. We think. I'm 
given what I've been told, I'm pretty sure that's true. Uh, Texas opened as a 10-point favorite, or thereabouts, 9.5 or 10. That's what it looks like. As for Texas Tech, since pretty much every game in the Big 12 now has Big 12 championship implications, I'm going to say that Texas Tech at Kansas State has Big 12 championship implications. Kansas State opens as an eight-point favorite. I, I cannot stress enough to you, if you have not watched this conference, think about it already. We haven't even talked Oklahoma yet. We're about to. You got Oklahoma already with a loss. Texas got a loss now in conference play. Texas Tech, uh, Kansas State's there, Iowa State's there, all, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Kansas. Everybody is a player is the point. There is no team. There's not a single team in the Big 12 that you have counted out yet. It, it is a team. It, it's, a, it's a league where every team's got a shot right now. West Virginia all of a sudden feels good. A TCU, kind of anonymous out there right now. I'm about to talk about Kansas State. What a time. It may be that the champ ends up having two losses. What a conference. What an entertaining product to watch this year. Let's stay out there. This is one I got asked about a lot. This was, this was, this was tough, but it's something we have to talk about. Kansas State upset Oklahoma again, 41 to 34. Adrian Martinez reminds me so much of that little puppy in Dante's Peak, the Pierce Brosnan volcano thriller of the 90s. And there were a couple of great volcano thrillers in the late 90s. It was Tommy Lee Jones versus Pierce Brosnan. Sounds like your mom's, you know what, I'm going to stop there. Very disciplined by me to stop there. But in that movie, the volcano is erupting. And Pierce Brosnan, they're trying to hightail it out of there. And the little puppy's been left behind. And so he's running down the hill. They got one shot at it. And he's got to jump in the window right at the exact right time. That is Adrian Martinez getting out of Nebraska. I mean, what, what a story in retrospect. And I discounted it a little bit. I didn't know he was going to be this good at Kansas State. Uh, boy, was I wrong. Boy, did I underestimate how horrific the situation was for him in Lincoln, Nebraska. Good for Adrian Martinez. Yesterday, he had himself a day, 21 of 34. He threw for 234. He, he ran for 148. Just, that's play, that's Pate State material. I cannot believe we're saying it. That is Pate State material by Adrian Martinez. Had five total touchdowns that he accounted for. This trap, in retrospect, feels like it was set the moment Kansas State lost to Tulane and the moment Oklahoma splattered Nebraska. Because it presented such a warped image of what this game was and could be. And it goes back to what Meemaw used to tell me all the time. You do not get one version of a team all 12 weeks. You get 12 unique versions of teams in a given season. And the fact of the matter is, especially in a sport where the ball is shaped like it is and they score in threes and sevens, not ones, you can get radically different results week to week especially when you need that many people to act in unison. And the fact of the matter, which I've said twice now in the past minute, is Kansas State wasn't the team they were last week, nor was Oklahoma, which is why we play all 12 of them. They put odds on this stuff. Oklahoma was about a 12 and a half, 13 some odd point favorite. They lost outright. That's why we play them. Here's a simple but overlooked truth. Because I, I, I know there's a lot of Second-guessing after your team loses a game. That's fine. There are coaches getting their first shot as being a head coach at major programs these days. Kirby, Ryan Day, Lincoln Riley, and now Brent Venables gets his first shot to be a head coach 
and it's Oklahoma. That is a really big deal. Well, there is no shortcut to gaining experience. You, you've got to go through it to gain it. And I, I'm going to say it a third time. Why not? The fact of the matter is Chris Kleiman has about a decade worth of head coaching experience under his belt, and Brent Venables has about three or four weeks of it under his belt. It is not a shock, or it shouldn't be a shock, when you get worked as a coaching staff. It should not shock you because you're a brand new staff, and theirs isn't. Now, what the hope is, is you've got enough baked-in edges institutionally because you're Oklahoma and they're Kansas State that you can overcome all that. But sometimes those edges aren't enough to make up for the simple fact that they got the experience and you don't. And they can outplay you. They can outcoach you. They can outscheme you. That's just the way it happens. And that's not the last time it'll probably happen. There'll be games coming up where Oklahoma gets outcoached and they still win because they have some more intrinsic advantages over the opposition. But it wasn't enough yesterday. And Brent Venables readily acknowledged that in the postgame. It's, it's not a panic thing. It's not time to rethink anything. It just is. It, if, if your goal, if your expectation was undefeated national championship, that is your fault. You can have that to root for, but that's not realistic for Oklahoma this year. That never was realistic. And by the way, this is not a disaster. They still have everything to play for. Look at the rest of their schedule. I'm going to read you the games they're about to play. TCU, Texas, Kansas, Iowa State, Baylor, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech. There's no insurmountable hurdle there. In fact, they'll probably be favored in almost, if not all, of those games. They can still accomplish everything they need to. If anything, maybe this was a wake-up call for the program. But the Big 12, let me reiterate, is wide open. Wide open. Texas Tech at Iowa State at TCU at Kansas State. Those are the next four games I think in, uh, well, it's the next four games for uh, Kansas State. So, or, oh, all right, so, so I butchered that. Kansas State's next four games, Texas Tech at Iowa State at TCU, Oklahoma State. All of those are competitive. All of those are going to be really good. For Oklahoma, though, they got to go on the road this week to TCU, and that's the last game before the Red River shootout in a couple of weeks. So lick the wounds, watch the film, get over it. But it's not, it's just, to me, I wasn't shocked by the result. We teed it up last week. I'm not saying I picked it or anything. I wasn't shocked by the result. These sorts of things just happen sometimes. Thank you so much for watching. Uh, we're not done, but make sure that you like the video if you haven't already. Are we almost at 2,000? We're almost at 2,000. How about that? I got a lot of games here to talk about. And I'm not going to go five minutes on all these, but if you thought I wasn't going to talk about Auburn, if you thought I wasn't going to talk about Kansas, if you thought I was going to watch Michigan get pushed and not talk about it, if you thought I was going to watch USC be plus four and turnover again and not talk about it, you were wrong because we're about to talk about all of it. But do we have the rights? Colin, did we ever get the licensing rights to Sarah McLaughlin's music catalog? We did not get, okay, still in discussion. So we can't use the Sarah McLaughlin Arms of an Angel sound bed for the game. But I want you to imagine the soft piano coming in. You see it in the pet abuse commercials all the time. I want to use it. I want to multi-purpose that. We're talking about Michigan State football right now. We, it was a Sarah McLaughlin special yesterday, again, because they got outclassed again. Very bad look for Mel Tucker and company. Can't sugarcoat it. They, they've gotten out everything. Out-athleted, out-played, out-physical, out-coached, out-schemed, whatever. They get out all of it. Against Washington, they get out all of it again yesterday 
against Minnesota. And I don't want to take anything away from Minnesota because that looks like a really good team right now. But I think the biggest takeaway from this game is uh, there are big problems at Michigan State. I mean, they ran 45 plays the entire game. They had uh, 38 yards rushing. They cannot run the ball to save their lives. They were minus two in the turnover battle. And conversely, look at P.J. Fleck in Minnesota. They were 10 of 12 on third down. They went 23 of 26 for passing yesterday, for passing. That sounds uh, uh, like a, a rookie way of describing them. They, they played about as flawless a game as you could play. And there were some questions, including with me, of, okay, they've looked good so far against nobody. How are they going to look on the road? Better than they have so far. So that's a player. That's, that is the favorite to win that division right now as far as I'm concerned. Minnesota at Penn State in a few weeks. In a few weeks, I don't want to look ahead, but I'm going to look ahead. Previously, that game had been given the whiteout designation. And every, the big talking point in the summer was, how come we're making the Ohio State game a noon game? Because we want that to be the whiteout. Why are, why are we going to whiteout Minnesota? That's, that's a game that we should be able to win pretty convincingly. Now it could be one of the premier games in the Big Ten this year. So... Somebody knew what they were doing all along in State College. Auburn, I, I don't know what to say. You know, this company allegedly pays me to talk about this sport, but I don't know what to say. I got a couple of games I'm going to describe this way. Hold on. Let, let me, let me re-energize myself. Auburn won a game yesterday, somehow, 17-14. to 14. There, was, there was just inexplicable clock and game management by Eli Drinkwitz and Missouri that led to this game going to overtime that I don't, I don't even want, I don't want to yell and I want to throw stuff. So I'm not really going to get into that. But once the game got to overtime, Auburn ended up winning the game. How? Oh, a walk-off touchback. Is this the play? Yeah, let's watch it again together. And Missouri, won. no, they don't win. Never mind. There's a touchback game over. Auburn wins. This... This, the way this game works is crazy. So Bruce Feldman, before games kicked off yesterday, he's on Fox Big Noon Kickoff, and he's on their pregame show. And he reports that he's been told, if Auburn loses today, Brian Harson's going to be fired. I can't even begin to describe how stupid this is. Not Feldman. Feldman's right. If he said it, he is, he's as plugged in as anyone in the sport. So I don't doubt that that was the case. Do you... You understand how stupid that is to put yourself in that predicament or position. Number one, this is not Remember the Titans, okay? This is not a movie. It's real life. You don't meet some guy behind the bleachers before kickoff and say, if you lose a game, they're going to fire you. If you already know that, you don't need to have anything proven to you. If you already know Brian Harson's not the right guy for the job and you don't care about painting his buyout because there's no incentive to wait, well, what are, you putting, what are you putting a clause in there? What are you putting a caveat in there for? What are you saying, well, let's see how the Missouri game plays out for? Like you're going to learn anything about him that changes your mind that day. Well, guess what? They ended up winning yesterday. Did it inspire any confidence in you the way Auburn won? Of course it didn't. Is he any different a coach? Of course he's not. But I always love when people are ignorant enough to do this. Because now here's what I'm going to do. LSU fans, close your ears for a second. Just for the sake of, of shoving it in people's faces down there, certain people, 
I'd love for him to win another game like he did yesterday. I'd love for him to just string a, a bunch of improbable wins together to force the issue. Because if that's really the case, we're waiting for him to lose a game. You know what you leave yourself open to? You leave yourself open to stuff like yesterday happening. Where you get an outcome that's one in a million, which by the way happens at Auburn way more frequently than every million games. You get an outcome like that. Okay, so you thought you had it figured out, and then oops, they messed around and won it. Oh, that's okay. We'll just fire him next week. How do you know you're going to get the result you think you are next week? What if LSU were to have quarterback injuries in the first quarter and all of a sudden you win a slog fest 13 to 11 or something like that? Well, do you just keep waiting? Now, you know, like I do, eventually you've got Georgia on the schedule. Eventually you've got Bama and A&M. So eventually it'll take care of itself. Yeah, you're probably right. I want you to remind yourself, though, on the surface, as a matter of principle, if those people that are making this decision really are dumb enough, to tie a singular result to the decision, those are the same people that are going to make the decision as to who's going to be your next head coach. Does that sound like a train of thought? Does that sound like a strategy? Does that sound like a collective group think that you trust to be attached to deciding who's going to lead your program? My answer would be no, but that's why we don't do it that way at Pate State. Next up, a game that was off your radar yesterday, but I paid attention to it. Florida State won convincingly again. They beat Boston College 44-14. They were favored by, that spread went up by kickoff, but it was somewhere between the 17 and 20 point range. They played Louisville last week, and they beat them. Jordan Travis went down in the game, the quarterback, and he was out for the rest of the game. It looked like his season was over. And if you were to be able to hit the fast forward button and see that a week later, he's not even going to miss a game, a week later, He's going to be playing against Boston College, and he's going to be going 16 for 26, 321 yards. You would have said, who do I pray to? Let, let, let's, get this, let's get this done. Well, that's what got happened. That's what happened. Um, he just wasn't hurt as bad as it looked. And Florida State is a rapidly improving team right now. They led 31 to nothing. They didn't allow Boston College to cross midfield until after the half, and now they got Wake Forest coming in town. Florida State's a team to watch. This is not the SEC. This is not the Big Ten. There is not an Ohio State out there. There's not a Bama or a Georgia out there. This is anybody's conference right now. And believe it or not, that includes Florida State. It is a shame right now that the division setup is not like the Pac-12, where you just take the two best teams. Uh, I would take one, two, three, four, there may be four or five teams in the Coastal that I think would be better than anyone in the Atlantic, but that's the way division play works. Sorry to say. Kansas got the job done against Duke yesterday, 35-27. to Jalen Daniels, did you watch him finally? Did you see him? That quarterback for Kansas, 427 yards. He accounted for five touchdowns. And here's the crazy part. If you, if you were to go to these head coaches, if you were to go to Elko and Lance Leopold Friday, and you told Leopold he was going to get that day out of Jalen Daniels. He would say, slam dunk, we're going to win. If you were to go to Mike Elko and say, hey, Riley Leonard's going to throw for 379, he won't turn the ball over, Elko would say, we're about to pull the upset. I, I, that's done. If he has that kind of day, we're not losing. Well, someone had to lose because both of those quarterbacks had that day. I think that Kansas has <laughs> got to be considered a real threat in the Big 12, just like I said about the ACC. The Big 12's wide open. And you got to, at this point, 
You've got to take what you thought in the preseason. You just got to wad it up. That is not who Kansas is. They are, a, they are a good team. They're good enough to compete with folks in the Big 12 is what I'm saying. Are they my upset pick to win the thing yet? No, they're not. But all of a sudden, everyone's looking at that game on their schedule now, and it feels different. The Kansas game in the Big 12 was the equivalent of the Vanderbilt game in the SEC. Everyone circled it. We got our FCS opponents. We got our bye week. Also, what do we have, Kansas? That's not the way it works anymore. Iowa State goes in there this week. They're favored by three. Every one of them has to play Kansas eventually. No one's looking forward to that anymore. So good for Kansas. They, they've already hit the over. They're 4-0, and now they're just adding on. Now they're going for bowl. Uh, they're going to be a bowl team. You if think about that. They're probably going to be a bowl team. Good for Kansas, man. Michigan got by Maryland 34-27, and I watched a fair amount of this game. Turns out they needed Blake Corum yesterday, and they needed him big time, and he came through. I th- this has got to be a career high for him. 30 carries, 243 yards, two touchdowns. Pass rush was not there for Michigan. That's a concern. Moving forward, J.J. McCarthy did not look like a video game character yesterday, finally. I'm not going to go as far as say that's a concern. That's just a coming down to earth because they played garbage competition so far, all due respect. Um, But a lot of what you saw yesterday I think is probably going to be good for Michigan. They needed a, a palate cleanser a little bit. And now you recalibrate everything. You made some mistakes. You got pushed, but you won the game. Now you strap in, and it's time to go and, and finish Big Ten play. And they play Iowa this week. And Michigan's favored by about 10 or 10 and a half. And some people in the building think that number's too low. We'll see if I'm one of them in just a second. But the schedule, it was what it was to begin with. I don't care. I'd probably schedule the same way. I'm just saying it's not, it was not the biggest shock in the world to me that this was a little bit closer game. Having said that, Michigan wins. Now they go to Iowa this week, first road game. USC last night. This was the game I was listening to driving back from Knoxville. USC, going into the game yesterday, they were plus 10 turnovers on the season. They led the nation. I don't know what to make of this. I have no clue what to make of this game. Oregon State turned the ball over four times. USC had no turnovers. So USC ends the game plus four turnovers. Had you told me that Friday, it would be the biggest padlock stat in the history of padlock stats. I would lay every dime at my disposal on USC to win and cover. Because the line was only five and a half or six at kickoff. Oregon State is minus four turnovers and they still covered and nearly won the game. The final was 17 to 14. And I don't even know what to say about that. Like USC, look, you've got to look at that if you're not USC. If you're just an observer, you got to look at that and say, USC, that should be a blowout win. And yet they still skate by. I don't know what to make of it. I don't know if it's a red flag, if it's just a one-off. I don't know what it is. This has not been a a place that's been particularly kind to them. So maybe you just want to get out of there with a win. I don't know what to make of it. I'm telling you, that's the game. USC Oregon State is the game. I I listened to most of it. I went back and watched the condensed version today. I don't know what to say about it. I would welcome comments if any of you have anything to say about that. I don't know what to say about it. It it, It was a result, and I acknowledge it, and that's about it. The Ramen Noodle Express had a winning day yesterday. If you did not watch Friday Night Lines, you did not have a winning day because we tacked on three more Friday night, and they went 3-0, by the way. 
hats off to Arkansas State and Southern Miss. Didn't even need the points. Just won outright. I am very, I am extremely confident again this week. We are not moving on one game tonight. I got four of them that we're moving on because I don't think I want to wait and see what these numbers do. Here we go. I told you Michigan's going to Iowa this week. The model is all over Iowa. And I, boy, I'm, I'd be lying to you if it didn't make me nervous, but let me tell you something else. The model was all over Iowa yesterday, and I didn't move on it, and they covered. It's had a really good feel for Iowa so far this year for whatever reason, so it thinks 10 points is more than enough. With Iowa, we're going to take the Hawkeyes plus 10. Mississippi State is at home against A&M. The model loves Mississippi State this week. They're laying two right now. We will take it. Mississippi State minus two. Wake Forest goes to FSU. Model thinks FSU wins by nine points this week. They're laying five. That crosses a bunch of key numbers, obviously. We are taking FSU minus five. And a team that we've had a great feel for this year is Liberty. And I'll tell you, another team we've had a good feel on is Old Dominion. Liberty plays Old Dominion this week. So I'm ultra confident about this. Liberty's minus two. We think they're going to win by seven or more. So we're going to take Iowa plus 10, Mississippi State minus two, FSU minus five, Liberty minus two. Those are the first four games that we'll be on. I think, based on very early, kind of a, an early glance at uh, what I'm looking at in front of me right now, I think we'll be on somewhere between eight and 12 games this week, give or take. So we'll see. But I, I, I like the board again. I liked it yesterday. Look, if I could take Michigan State football and get them out of here, we would have had a huge, huge day. As it stands, we still had a winning day yesterday. We'll be fine. Uh, we are going to, we're, not Lexington, we're watching the team from Lexington go to Oxford this week. Kentucky versus Ole Miss. That is the week five destination for the Every Given Saturday Tour. I think we got everything out of the way that we needed to get out of the way. Thank you guys so much for watching. Make sure you like the video and sub to the channel on the way out. For Director Colin, producer Jesse, I'm Josh Bate. It's going to be a big week around here. We'll be back here same time Tuesday night. Until then, take care and God bless. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. On May 23rd... I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Okey
be? Prepare yourself. You will not be us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+.